Welcome, another uh, episode. This one's special in that uh, many of the episodes are timely uh, or timeless and uh, evergreen, and I don't really worry about uh, when an episode occurs, but I specifically picked episode 206, 206, uh, because in an homage to uh, T206, which we wouldn't even know what that was if it were not for uh, the tribute today to uh, to Jefferson Burdick, who was... Uh, uh, one of the the great uh, fathers of our uh, of our of our hobby of our industry. So he's the guy that decided that it was uh, that uh, T for tobacco and two hundred six when he uh, sequentially numbered uh, the sets that he was aware of. And so if you'll notice, it's not T two hundred and six or it's T T T two hundred six. So thank you, Jeff Burdick, for for that uh, amazing contribution when when uh, there was just a disorder in the industry. And again, he really helped pave the way for me coming along much later. Uh, with uh, an opportunity to try to put uh, accurate prices on some of these sets that he had identified. So first, thanks sponsors, Top Spinini Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugging the Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, and ComC.com. Maybe none of those sponsors would be, or, I mean, he, Jeff Burdick predated all of them. You know, there wasn't any Heritage even coins in there. There, there really wasn't any tops uh, when when he was uh, when he started when he was ten years old in 1910, and so. Um, but he's uh, he passed away in '63. This is one of the tributes that I don't really uh, that I, that I never met him. But then I was I really didn't get involved in the organized hobby until the early '70s. But uh, an amazing guy. Again, we we're we're standing on um, on uh, his shoulders. He started collecting at the age of ten, which is so convenient because you know, that's when the T cards came out. When the the, the resurgence of of uh, of, of uh, cards, especially for kids, was the, the era of the T cards was started in 1909, essentially, where they mass produced T two hundred sixes and the famous uh, Hannes Wagner. So, again, that's he. You know, you just think, well, wow, he's just born at exactly the right time. Old enough to be my grandfather. In fact, I think my, one of my grandfathers was born uh, about the same time. Interesting fact, apparently he never attended a baseball game. He was from upstate New York. I'm sure they had minor leagues there, but, uh, and then he, you know, the, well, uh, his claim to fame, uh, among other things, but his first claim to fame before the, uh, the Metropolitan Museum of Art was, uh, the, the kind of the author and I guess publisher of the American card catalog. It was originally called the United States Card Collectors Catalog, but uh, it's now pretty much known just as the American Card Catalog or, or abbreviated ACC. Uh, starting in 1939 and then kind of every seven years, he updated it. And the updates, again, it's, this mostly was a catalog of sets, so just listing what the sets were and giving a nomenclature of what to call the sets, uh, more so than a, a checklist or a price guide. But still, this was a, a pretty singular achievement. I mean, it's hard to explain even what things were like before there were price guides, much less before there were even uh, checklists or or uh, any any way to say what you needed or what was even out there. So again, a, a spectacular uh, contribution uh, that uh, is made all the more significant because he, he kind of gave his life for it. Uh, the American Card Catalog was actually kind of North American. So it wasn't just the United States. Maybe that's why he changed the name because there's the, the C prefix and the V prefix are for Canadian uh, tobacco and gum. So you'll still see, still see some of those uh, referenced. Um, and again, he had a different um, letter prefix and then a number, and the number was supposed to be somewhat in sequential order, but uh, R cards, of which you know, those are like the Gaudis or the R cards, those are supposed to be recent in his eyes. Of course, in 1939, they were recent, but um, uh, 
uh, and e-cards were caramel. I'm not sure why they were, you know, kind of candy and caramel, uh, the cards from that. And, and the, uh, end cards, you know, they, they always say, you know, N28, N29 now, but really that's not what he did. I mean, he had it, he had like a number sign. It was just the, the, I think he, what I'm the kind of, uh, deducing is that he was so into not just sports cards, but, but any kind of card and, and, uh, paper ephemera that he was, uh, the, the the real legit cards I think in his eyes were the were the 19th century. So to even put a prefix on that, all the um, non-sport and sport cards from the 19th century, those were the those are the ones I think that really he was excited about. And so again, we've put an N prefix, but that's not really what he did. He didn't really have an N. He just did a number sign, and that can add some confusion. So I said he gave his life to it. Uh, what did I mean by that? Well, he he. Uh, he had arthritis from a kind of an early from his early 30s, which is pretty rough. Now there weren't any card shows in those days. I think maybe collectors would get together, you know, uh, somebody be in the area and come over or something. But mostly it was through the mail. Uh, he had the idea to donate everything to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. And he had about 300,000 items, and they're calling them items, but they were you know different shapes and sizes, but pretty much all uh, paper stuff. And uh, the Metropolitan Museum of Art originally would not accept it until he agreed. I don't know whether the negotiation was tough or not, but but he had to agree to catalog everything. Which, uh, when you think back, that's if you're going to catalog everything, you're going to need uh, some nomenclature and a and a, an American card catalog system. So probably part and parcel of those things is is bringing some order to it. So I'm so glad he did that. Uh, but he was living in upstate New York, and as the time got closer, and I think he was probably further decline of health uh, from his arthritis. The last uh, few years, uh, he moved to live in a hotel and uh, in lower Manhattan. And if you think lower Manhattan, for those of you who've been there, uh, I'm wondering how close it was to Topps. I mean, Topps' office was uh, in uh, lower Manhattan. And if you think about it, he was moving from upstate New York to lower Manhattan but going every day to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, can you imagine staying in a hotel in Lower Manhattan and and taking a cab? I mean, if it was rush hour, you know, it would be a it would be a tough commute. So I'm glad he was in New York, uh, but and he was closer in, in terms of mileage, but it definitely not a walk. It's not like you're living across town. You're really across town. But he was a he was a, never married, so he, he was a, a a single guy and he had no heirs, and so this was just a wonderful contribution that he took on as a life work of uh, of uh, preparing albums. Now, unfortunately, the way he prepared the albums for the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and you can still go there and see, is he pasted the cards. Now, I don't, you know, he pasted them loosely in some cases, but they're still pasted with the 20th century paste that is not uh, not uh, uh, water soluble. So he he supposedly spent 15 years just just preparing these albums and he originally he'd mail them in and then he then when he was there he'd, he'd go and work that he just they had an office for him and uh the story goes that on the, the, the when he put the last pasted the last card in the last album he he said goodbye to the people that were there the staff who apparently knew him well and he checked into a hospital the next day and he and he died three months later um i mean that's that's dedication uh that's real uh, commitment. So, unfortunately, uh, a negative in the story, uh, which, well, again, it's they're they're back in circulation. But the security for the Metropolitan Museum of Art in some of the earlier years uh, was 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 not good. Uh, they would let people in there 
and people would, uh, well, you can't have a metal detector. This is before metal detectors, but even a metal detector, they're just, it's cardboard. So they had cardboard, but people would, uh, people stole some stuff. There were what they called the mysterious disappearances, but it's funny how the mysterious disappearance is the, is the hall of famer, not the common player next to it. So, uh, that was sad, but, um, in, in many cases, those cards are, are released into the into the hobby, but still, it'd be better if it was if it was more secure and in a place where everybody could see it. So I, I've been and looked at the collection, and it's spectacular, even you know with uh, with uh, some some holes there. But as I said, he was a huge non-sport collector. Baseball wasn't even the majority of it, and, and this other primitive pr- printed ephemera and trade cards. Um, but you know, when he was growing up, cards weren't valuable. You know, when my dad collected, he was old enough to be my dad's dad. But when my dad collected, new cards were a penny, and they were plentiful. They were, and so he grew up in that environment where cards were, were, were not. Uh, well, they just they. It, it would be hard to imagine that they were going to have a lot of value. I don't know that he paid a lot of money. Uh, in fact, many of the cards he got may have, may have been gifted to him. Uh, but the labor that he put in, the labor of love, putting this all together, was just pretty amazing. And uh, the other situation is that. The uh, World War II, we don't think of this now, but there was a huge uh, paper drive in America as well as in uh, in Britain uh, where the recycling paper. And so the, it's I don't know that we can, well, I'm sure we're underestimating how many cards were likely recycled because they were just, uh, you know, on, on cheap paper that could be patriotically used for the for the war effort because paper was was uh, was really quite scarce. And so that makes me sad but again that increases the collectability of what's uh what's uh what's left over so again another uh sports card insight that is applicable more to rich klein and me and that is that when we went around for really seemed like a couple decades looking for uh cards that uh, we could put in the almanac and in price guides that uh, we were working on uh when we found something that was not even an older card that was not in the American card catalog that was unknown to, to Jeff Burdick and, and his friends, typically that would be pretty scarce if it's uncatalogued, uh, from, from when it was closer to the time. And so again, we, again, you can't look at the American card catalog and see what the values are because, you know, a scarce card was a dime <laughs> and, a, and a tough card was a nickel. And, uh, but most cards were a penny. So, uh, but if we found something that was not even listed there, and again, Burdick was, was, uh, the main guy in this effort, but there certainly were other legends that uh, contributed as, as I've acknowledged that some of the work that I did in the seventies uh, and early eighties that had uh, lots of help from people that shared their expertise and pulling it all together uh, is hard, but uh, it, it'd be impossible if you didn't have help. So I know Jeff Burdick had help, but uh, he was the one uh, uh, applying the paste. And uh, finally, let me leave you with this, which I think is an understatement, but probably indicative of a, of a pretty modest uh, modern-day hero, and that, that he put on his gravestone, which I I don't know that he would have determined this, or his or uh, or a family member, but his gravestone just says one of the greatest card collectors of all times. Now, again, he wasn't sports. It was just cards. But who would be greater? <laughs> one of the greatest card collectors of all times. So certainly true and uh, notably uh, understated because we're looking at a guy who's uh, been uh, passed away for 57 years and we're still uh, benefiting from uh, the work that he put in on the American card catalog. If you ever find an original American card catalog, that's a, that's an outstanding collectible 
uh, in its own right. They were they were not uh, produced in great quantity, but uh, you can and you can see some. There's some reprints that have been uh, put out out there, but it's a it's a again a pretty amazing contribution to a field that uh, we, we wouldn't we wouldn't know what to call things. Um, if you just study T206 and realize the confusion because of the different backs and the different uh, the, the numberings and uh, the variations and uh, different producers, different tobacco companies, uh, all under American Tobacco, I'm sure, but still, um, you, it, it gave some order of how to collect. So I thank you, uh, Jefferson Burdick, for doing that. And uh, truly, you were one of the greatest card collectors of all time. So I don't know anyone greater. So thanks for your contributions to our industry. And we're still uh blessed by by that uh, so many years later so thanks listeners be back again tomorrow with another episode but this was episode 206 the man in the-